Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Good for you. All right. Uh, Hey, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, One of the things that I love about Movement Church, what I love about our community, is that we try to do some different things. Uh, We we, we try to to push one another. And and so this week, I've kind of been sharing on social media and on the email blast that we send out, just that we're going to be doing something different this morning. And, and you guys, in your classic way, many of you, there's, there's some odd suggestions about this. One of you thought that maybe I was going to be debuting some sort of interpretive dance, okay? That's not happening. Yeah, woo is not right. That is not, not appropriate. Uh, there's people, people thinking that we were going to announce that we were having another child. As far as I know, that's not happening. Uh, so uh, that would be news to myself. Uh, uh, but there's a lot of things that are thrown out. People are wondering. But we're doing something today in partnership with an organization called Compassion International. We're going to talk a lot about that here in a moment. But Compassion International, this is about changing a kid's life. And I want to give all of us an opportunity to do that here in the next 30 minutes. Before we start, though, I need to give you some background. So we've been in this series looking at James called Oh Brother. It's called Oh Brother because James is the younger brother of Jesus. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So picture this, that James is there, that he has risen to become a leader of the church. Yet, James did not believe that his big brother, that his older brother Jesus, was who he says he was. Was the Son of God. Was the Messiah. It wasn't until the cross and the empty tomb. It wasn't until the crucifixion and the resurrection. It wasn't until Good Friday and Easter Sunday that James took a step. James said yes and he became a believer. Now, now think about that. James knows Jesus arguably as well as anyone, and he had his doubts. He had his regrets. Yet he becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes not just a follower of Jesus, he becomes a leader of the church. Well, something happens. Something happens where, where the Romans and the religious authorities bring down such persecution and pain on the church that the church there in Jerusalem is shattered and scattered. And James writes a letter, this circular letter that will be circulated around to the, the pockets of, 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 of where the people from his church have fled to. And in this circular letter, in this letter he has written to encourage and to challenge, we see some things that James has for us. We see things that were written almost 2,000 years ago that apply to our lives. So much so, in fact, I have a love-hate relationship with this letter. I love its directness. I love its clarity. But it makes me uncomfortable. It challenges me. It forces me to evaluate some things about myself. It forces me to ask the question, am I going to preach on this in a way where I kind of just allow the scripture to speak for itself? Or am I going to do the thing that's far more comforting, where I take something hard and I just try to give it a little bit over here and kind of take off that hard edge and maybe explain something away? Well, if you've been following along with us, we're in week three of this series. In week one, we did chapter one of James. And perhaps you were thinking of chapter one, well, surely Josh is going to cover that one verse that punches all of us in the face. And it's from from James chapter 1, verse 27. At the end of the very first chapter, the younger brother of Jesus says this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress. He produces a critique of what we normally do. We experience the transcendent. We experience the divine. We have this encounter with Jesus. We have this encounter. We say, I am not the center of the universe. I am loved by someone who is perfect. I have been forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus. We have this experience, and so we create a system of things to do around it. We often create a list of do's and don'ts. We say that you got to be here on Sundays. We, we, we give this, this guilt trip. We, we have these expectations. We create a religion out of it. So it's a critique of what we normally do, but it's also a challenge in what we normally do. We need to do it in a certain way. And at the core basis of this, James says, the brother of Jesus says, it's looking out for widows and orphans. If I can take a little creative license, I think what he's saying to us is he's saying, look out for the most vulnerable. Look out for single moms. Look out for kids. Look out for kids who are vulnerable. Kids in poverty. Kids who are faced with challenges and things and consequences of someone else's decisions. So I read this, and man, it would be so easy for me to just move right past it. It's so easy for me just to, to look at this and say, you know what? That's for somebody else at a different time. But James is not telling us here that if we don't do this, God doesn't love us. James is not saying James is not saying, if we don't look out for the widow and the orphan, if we don't look out for the vulnerable, then God doesn't love us, we can't be accepted, we are not forgiven, we are not saved. James is not saying that, because James is operating from a place of grace. He is operating from this understanding that there is nothing he can do to be forgiven more, to be loved more, to be accepted more. And there's nothing he can do to be forgiven, loved, accepted less. There's no way to earn this. There's no way to achieve this. James is challenging from a place of grace. He is putting forward a better way forward. He is essentially saying that following Jesus is not just an emotional reaction. It's not just this, uh, this, uh, this moment where we come to some sort of cognitive agreement, where we think our way to this. It is not just those things, though it is. It is also our physical response. It's what we do with it. It is putting things into action. Later in chapter 2, he will say faith without works is dead. That if we don't put our faith into action, we have a problem. Over and over again, we see this pattern emerge where Jesus will be confronted by some reality that is hard, that is difficult, that is uncomfortable. He will see somebody who is sick. He will see someone who is vulnerable. He will see someone who is experiencing pain so often of not of their choosing or their doing. And it will often say that this biblical word, this Greek word that gets translated in English as compassion. And compassion is not just an emotion. It is a gut response. It is almost as if if they were not to act out on this emotion, there would be a physical pain. This is a deep moment. And what we see before Jesus heals these people over and over and over and again is that Jesus shows compassion. Well, the Apostle Paul, who comes after Jesus, who sets up all these churches, writes to one of these churches, writes to kind of address some issues, and he uses this word compassion. Listen to what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, 
As God's chosen people, he's just gone through this long list, this long argument. This is why you are different. This is how you are to live. You are to be lived as set apart. You are lived as as something as, as though you have been saved because you have. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I don't know about you. I don't clothe myself in compassion. I find arguments for my inaction very much at hand. It is very easy for me to explain things away. It is very easy for me to assume that someone else is taking care of it. It's very easy for me to assume that I am not qualified. And I know the arguments. I've heard the logic. But I still think there is a point where I have to act. I have to take a step where I can no longer explain away the pain of others. You know, perhaps you've had a conversation or you've been made aware of some of the realities when it comes to global poverty. And you come to these, these numbers, these statistics, and they're so beyond anything you can grasp. It's almost, it's almost debilitating. It's almost paralyzing. You hear things like, like how many children, that, that some 600 million children live in a form of extreme poverty. 600 million children worldwide live in extreme poverty, and that's generally defined as living on less than $2 a day. Now the good news is, is we've made a dent as a globe, as a, as, as a species in this, but it is still a grand, horrible problem. The, the number that, that also troubles me, that, that maybe is too big, but sit with this, is the number 18,000. 18,000. 18,000 children die every day. 18,000 kids die every day because of poverty-related issues. Malnutrition, disease that could be prevented. These sorts of things, 18,000. Now, don't be overwhelmed by these statistics. I know that I have to fight against this, and I assume you do as well. And so the question becomes, in the face of these sorts of things, these sorts of numbers, what do we do about it? How could we possibly make a dent? Well, I have found, and I think this is something that's played out in our community, is that when we encounter a problem, we look for partners. When we encounter a problem, we're going to look for people who are already in the fight. And for me, and this is not to denigrate any other charitable organization, but for me, in my experience, Compassion International is the gold standard. If you don't know about Compassion International, let me tell you some things about them. Their mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. That primarily happens through child sponsorship. Child sponsorship, where someone will sponsor a child for 39 bucks a month. 39 bucks a month. That's, that's less than like a latte a day, right? You've heard those, those sorts of analogies. 39 bucks a month, you will sponsor a child. You will provide for all of their physical, emotional, social, and even spiritual needs. That you can provide this. You can release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Now maybe, 
you're skeptical of the whole child sponsorship thing. There have been organizations that have, that have been charlatans that have abused this, this whole thing. They've, they've used this to, to profit themselves. They'll, maybe you think to yourself, well, we get these packets, we see we could sponsor this kid. Is it, they just pick the cutest kid picture and they, they just change the name. They slap that picture on all the packets. Or, or maybe you think, do they, do, they really, do they really get the letters that they write? I know that's a big part of this, that you can write letters to your child and they can write letters back to you. Is there, like, like, is there like some sort of AI software that creates these letters from these kids, like writ large, or it's like a sweatshop of all these kids writing out letters, and do the letters just kind of get thrown away, or how does that work? Or maybe you, you think to yourself, well, I've heard people actually go and visit, they can go see this, and surely that's not it. They probably have like the design, like, like model, compassion center, they just take everyone there. I had some of those same questions. I have some of those same questions. I wonder about on the scale that they operate, of having nearly two million kids who have benefited from their programs. I wonder these questions. Can compassion actually do this? And, and what actually happens on the ground in these far-flung countries? About six years ago, I went on a, a trip sponsored by Compassion. They invited a bunch of pastors to come together. They called it a vision trip. They wanted to kind of show the pastors what it looked like on the ground. And I first thought, well, this is just going to be a commercial. A, a good commercial, but a commercial, right? So I go and I fly down to Ecuador, a country I've never been to before. I, I show up in Ecuador with a group of pastors, and, and we go around and we see these compassion centers. I remember the first one we came to, we spent the most time at. It was this, it was this collection of block concrete buildings. There was a fence around the buildings that kind of enclosed this big courtyard area. And we pull up, and, and we get to see the classrooms where kids are educated. We go into the kitchen facilities, and we're bringing food out that's going to feed the kids. And then we get to play with the kids. In fact, there's a, there's a picture of me with two little girls uh, there in Ecuador. And yes, I'm a lot thinner. And yes, <laughs> I'm a lot less gray. And yes, I'm still very sweaty in that picture. Yes, all those things, right? Now, now I, I'm in that situation. I don't have a degree in child development definitely don't speak Spanish, barely speak English, but I do have a very specific set of skills. If I come around a kid, I will throw that kid up in the air. I will pick that kid up and spin around. I will teach them how to play rock, paper, scissors. I will laugh. I will play soccer with them, even though I don't play soccer either. I will, in those moments, I will respond because it's universal, right? You just respond. And I come away from this, from seeing that example of how compassion operates. We would go around also into the villages, we would meet with moms, and, and, and they, the, the compassion folks and the, the local team of professionals would perform some prenatal care and some advice to these expectant mothers. And we would go to these other centers, and, and compassion would show us, like, hey, we would love to have a center here, but we're not quite ready yet. And, and they, they took us aside, and I remember one evening they said, okay, here's all the ways we have learned from mistakes. And they shared stories of, of failures. And they shared stories of this is where we had some false starts. This is where we were affected by things we couldn't control and some things of our own doing. And this is how we've learned from it. But here's the way in which compassion I saw firsthand. And this is how they just do this so distinctly and so well. All of this happens with the local church. There's some 8,000 churches around the world that operate 
with compassion to provide these services to kids. And here's the interesting thing. We saw probably five or six of these centers when we were in Ecuador. You would walk in, you would see no signage about compassion. You would walk in, you would see signage for the church. You would see that they were the rock stars. And these kids who were there, they didn't have to believe in Jesus in order to be there. Here's the beautiful thing. Any child in need, any child in poverty can benefit from these programs. But here's the gospel in action, folks. They're receiving these things from people who follow Jesus. They're receiving these things because people like you and I sponsor. We are generous. It's the gospel in action. On that trip, we got to see where, where several of the, the people on our team got to meet their sponsored children. And it was odd and awkward and beautiful and overwhelming all together. And so, of course, I went in skeptical. My cynical side, is this really effective? I made those arguments in my head. Well, it's, it's you know what? We do other things. I come home and we sponsor a little boy from Ecuador. Because that just felt like the right thing to do. And we get letters from him, and we send him letters. We get updated pictures from him. And then when my daughter was born, we updated, we, 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 we uh, you know, took another step. We sponsored a child, a little girl. And so for me and my family, like, this is personal. Like, this is something I, I, I believe in. Because when we talk about compassion, when we talk about what we're going to do, we talk about this idea of taking a step. We have to understand that we are being challenged to do so. That when we experience that feeling, that gut feeling that we have to take a step, we have to take an action, we can't ignore that. And Scripture is clear on this. Now I know that some might be saying, well, why is, why is movement doing this? You know, Maybe you've been in other, other venues and other events where compassion or other child sponsorship programs are discussed maybe you're sitting here thinking like well isn't this kind of taken away from what people are going to be generous here and our work here that's a very real fear it's something that i i have thought about leading up to this i'm not going to lie but this is what i believe about generosity i don't believe that god operates on a scarcity model i don't think god is saying that there's only a finite amount of resources to do his work like God's got plenty of provision. Like God's got plenty of resources. I think generosity is more like a muscle. And that when we use this muscle of generosity, it breeds more generosity. It is contagious. It is not something that's finite. And so I am challenging you to consider this. 39 bucks a month. Change a kid's life. Release a child from poverty. Because here's the thing about compassion, the emotion. Compassion is not a feeling or at least it's not just a feeling compassion always has a corresponding action we are always supposed to take a step in first john chapter 3 we read the words of the the disciple that was kind of maybe the closest to jesus the one that had this personal connection this relationship and he says this this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Leave that right there for a second. Love is about knowing something and seeing something in action of sacrifice. Next slide. 
if anyone has material possessions, notice John goes right from love and emotion to talking about our stuff. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can they love? How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. This is not a guilt trip. This is not a sales pitch. This is this understanding that we have been accepted by Jesus if we have said yes to him. That God's love for us is absolute complete. It's not going to increase, it's not going to decrease despite what we do or don't do. This is an understanding that a challenge that the people at the very first, that first generation of Christians, that first generation of churches understood from then on that compassion, that this emotional reaction to seeing things that are wrong in the world leads to action, leads to a response. I don't know about you, but we've started Christmas shopping in our house. I love Christmas shopping. I love it. It's so much fun. It's so much fun because I don't do the budget and so I don't know what, where, how much we have or whatever and I just get told what I get to spend. It's a blast. But I was struck by a couple of statistics. Statistics that, that we all understand or know and would believe. And they're true. That American children make up 3% of the children's, the global children population. 3% of the kids in the world are Americans. Yet, those kids receive 40% of the toys worldwide. 3%, 40%. This is not a guilt trip. It really isn't. This is us challenging one another. There are tons of great organizations, locally, internationally, wonderful organizations. I think you should be generous. I think you should be generous in a lot of different ways, but one way is with Compassion International. 39 bucks a month. It's very, very simple. I've heard this said when it comes to global poverty, and I couldn't find who it was attributed to, but I know it wasn't with me, but it said this, that the problem of poverty is not God's provision, but human distribution. The problem of poverty is not God's provision, but human distribution. We can solve poverty. We can solve this. It's not God's fault, it's ours. So I have to ask you, what's the biggest impact you can make this holiday season as we look towards Christmas? What's the biggest impact? You could buy the shiny new thing that'll be obsolete or broken in a year. You could buy the, the extra, extra outfit that they'll outgrow. And I love giving presents. I love opening presents. I am not trying to rain on that parade in the least, but I think that we all have more margin than we realize. I think we have more stuff than we realize. Do you know this? 85% of Americans who have a two-car garage can't fit both cars in there. Think about that. Think about that. We got so much junk in our garages. You know, we're doing homebrew, and we got arts and crafts, and we got these boxes full of stuff we haven't looked at in years. And so we take our, you know, $20,000, $50,000 vehicle and leave it outside because we want to protect that junk. We get too much stuff. Generosity is a muscle. So here's what's going to happen. Here in the next 15 minutes or so, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. And you're going to have an opportunity to do one of two things, or you have to do two things. 
The first is we're going to celebrate communion together. We celebrate communion here at Movement Church every week, and we open that up to any, anybody who says yes to Jesus. Anyone who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to take communion with us. We do this because we want to say, we want to be in this place where we say, our faith is not just a head, head decision, it's not just a heart feeling, it is all of those things and an action. And so we take the bread, and we dip it in the juice, and we eat it. We are saying that the sacrifice of Jesus represented in that meal, the body and the bread, the blood and the juice, that we are about this sacrifice. And then I want you to do another thing. I want you to go over here to this wall. There's 25 packets over there. There's 25 packets over here, and I want you to do something. I want you to take a look at the names. I want you to take a look at their birthday, where they're from, I want you to open it up. I want you to look at the information about what happens, what your monthly support would provide. And then I want you to pray about this. And I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to take this flap that tears off, and I want you to tear it off. And I want you to fill it out. And I want you to say yes to sponsoring a kid. Here's some important things, just in details. This entire packet cannot leave this room. Can't leave this room. If you say, I want to take this home and pray about it and think about it, wonderful, but you can't take it home. If you take it home, it's going to mess up the system. That some kid who needs sponsored isn't going to receive that sponsorship. That some kid who is, who is waiting, and if you'll notice that on all of these, there's a little, little exclamation point about being a priority kid, that this kid has been waiting the longest. And so I want you to take a look at this, and if you say yes to this, the only way you can walk out with some of this is if you fill out that flap and drop it off in the box in the back. That's the only way. I don't know your budget. I don't know your, your finances. Maybe several of you need to get together on this and share this responsibility and this opportunity together. Uh, maybe for you, you and your family need to say, I'm going to make this part of our Christmas. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to pick out a little girl or a little boy because I have a little girl or a little boy at home, and we're going to do this as a family but we're going to take a step. And maybe you're sitting there saying, there's no way I'm doing this. That's fine. But I would challenge you to consider. I challenge you to walk over there and take a look. There's going to be people around the room that have participated in this before. They've done child sponsorship. They're going to be standing over in this area and standing in the back. And they're going to be there to answer questions. At the back, there's kind of, at the, at the info, there's kind of an information sheet about compassion. There's more up here on the subwoofer to my right, to your left. But this is an opportunity for us to consider and to respond. And so it's going to be a moment where we can do this together. So here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and then we're going to pray, and then you're going to be dismissed to act. And you're going to be dismissed to go and take communion, and you're going to be able to be dismissed to go and check out those compassion packets. So those of you who are helping out with this, would you guys go ahead and move over to that? Would everyone else, if you're willing, if you're able, would you stand and let us have a moment of prayer together before we begin this process?